If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, August the 14th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as RisingApple.com. Well, a little bit of a bend but not break intro there. I guess it's pretty appropriate. I'm coming to you, oh, just about 15 minutes or so after the Mets completed their 6-0 victory over the Philadelphia Phillies. They take two out of three from the Phillies, and they end the homestand with just two losses, a 9-2 and two homestand. So uh, pretty impressive uh, homestand for the Mets. And they surge their way into what really is the, I don't want to say the last hurdle to climb because there's a lot of season left after this week, but the last road trip that I think is going to be defining. And really, they can push both of the, the Phillies and the Braves back to a situation where, you know, they're going to be focused on the wild card, not the division. You know, the Braves have revenge on their mind. Big four-game st- series. Spencer Strider is going to, you know, do his thing and come back. And, 
and prove to the world maybe that the Mets are just this lucky team that sticks their rear ends out and the ball just flies over the yard, but be that as it may. So before we get to the main thesis of the show, and I got a lot to get into today, even though you know the Mets are playing well and that usually doesn't make for good radio, we have the Phillies. We got to see them up close, and maybe I'm thinking here the Phillies are more of a threat to the Mets as we get to October than the Braves. I'll explain that. Is this the Mets' best chance? The more we see of DeGrom, the more we see of this team come together, would this be their best chance in Steve Cohen's first five years to win a championship, considering the cost of keeping the band together? That's starting to be talked about. And I got myself into hot water again on Twitter, not for the usual reasons, not for social reasons. That's usually what I get into hot water with. But because Andy Martino tweeted out about the Tatis Jr. suspension for PEDs, and brought up the contract and the Lindor contract, and Lindor's having this great second half. He and Pete neck and neck to you know playing it at an MVP level. Lindor's having a great second season in New York, probably the best season at shortstop the Mets have ever had on both sides of the ball. And here I am talking about the the, the contract again. But Andy brought it up. I got into a little bit of hot water with those on Twitter, and I'll bring that up. I'll do that on the way out. We've had that conversation over and over. And over again. So the other big news before I get to the show is that uh, the good folks over the fan side podcasting network that uh, have been a supporter of this program since September of last year now have a partnership with Red Circle Media. You'll notice when you go to TalkingMetsPodcast.com, the show is on Red Circle Media. What does that mean for you? Absolutely nothing. Your Apple Podcast should update. Your Spotify should update. All your different avenues to get the show should update. I was told that. I'm going to check up on that. There's always trust but verification. Because we did have, when we moved from the original, I mean the long-time home of the Talking Mets podcast, Blog Talk Radio, to Omni, which was uh, the first foray of the fan-sided podcasting guys to you know provide a, a, a server, so to speak. And, you know, with this deal, with everything that's going on, I know that you guys have heard ads and whatnot. I don't sell the advertising, so don't kill the messenger. I don't really block any advertising right now. I feel like it's, hey, let's see what this is all about. You know, could you really, I got to trust my partners that they're not going to put an ad out there of anybody that's uh, Jack the Ripper. Let's put it that way. And you'll see, here's some commercials. I don't make them too intrusive, of course. And it helps support the podcast in a small way. You know, infrastructure, microphones, Zoom costs, things like that. I always tell people, I'm humbled by people saying, hey, Mike, you should charge for this thing. And I say, you know what? No. There's enough going on in people's lives where they have to pay. They got to get nickel and dimed every day. And I think I'd be humbled that I think I probably would get people to contribute like, you know, a Mets fix does and things like that. But with the current economy, with everything that's going on, with the fact that I feel like – um this has now become woven into this small community, a very robust, but still in comparison to, you know, the big networks, a small community. And it would be insincere, unfair to do that. And I think the better way is to put some ads in there that are not intrusive, that don't offend and, you know, hopefully make a few bucks. I'm trusting the business partners on that. We're here to talk Mets baseball. So you'll see that, you know, if there was a little wonkiness in downloading the show this morning, I apologize. Or tonight, obviously I'm coming to you Sunday night. So anyway, away you go. So as I was watching the Mets, uh, you know, and really it's funny because since we last talked, the Taking Care of Business podcast that, uh, you know, went on after the Mets took four to five from the Braves. I mean, the Mets did exactly what they've done all year. They didn't have a stub your toe series. They bludgeoned the Reds. You know, had a couple of scary moments there 
in the first couple of games with the bullpen, but you know they got the job done. And then the Phillies came to town, and, and Mets should have swept them. I mean, really a, a hard luck loss on Friday night. I mean, Lindor nearly won it with a home run there, and then Vogelback, and I will not question. I know that there was some chatter on Twitter and social media about Joey Cora. Let me tell you something, uh, and he doesn't get a lot of credit here, and we don't talk about him enough. Joey Cora has been a godsend to the Mets. He's been not as important maybe as the free agent signings, but he has been one of the most impactful coaches that we have seen come through these doors maybe ever in my, you know, outside of a manager, maybe ever, or pitching coach. Let's take the manager, the pitching coach. Who cares who the third base coach is? Who cares, you know, sometimes who the hitting coach is? You know, the manager, the pitching coach to me are the two big important coaches on the staff because of their involvement and their their fingerprints on, you know, the pitching coach, what I believe the most important part of the team, which is the pitching, and then the manager with the culture on and the bridges between the media and the ownership. Um, but Joey Cora, I mean, last year, how many times did we talk with Gary Disarcina how it, it took five singles to get anybody home? Nobody scored from second last year. Nobody. And I, I, I think there was a stat that, back that narrative up. I'm not going to go look for it or fish for it. It doesn't matter. I watch the games. I know you watch the games. I heard from you. You know, nobody scored from second. So this year it's been different. An aggressive third base coach. I don't think he does crazy miscalculations, but Vogelback hit a ball to Veerling on Friday. Uh, you know, Marte on third, their best base runner, their fastest guy. And it took a perfect throw. And I'll tell you what, it took a good play at the plate from Real Muto who flubbed one when McNeil tried to score on the uh, lolly uh, pop throw from Marsh in the outfield today and, and did. Took a great play by uh, Real Muto to do the swipe tag. Yeah, I know he was out. The ball was there in plenty of time, but you still have to because you can't block the plate, kind of come around. And it's very easy in that motion to flub the ball. And, you know, bad break there. And then they left the tying run on third. And, and uh, you know, look, the Phillies are a much improved version of themselves. And uh, this was a tough series. The Mets won a tough game. They lost a tough game. And then... They had some separation today, but let's face it, it took Yeoman's work by Bassett to get through the fourth and the fifth. And, you know, then there was the Joely Rodriguez uh, high wire act that uh, I think Buck likes. I mean, Buck has liked them all year. And we've learned with Rodriguez, he's a loogie in a world where there's no loogies anymore. Let's face it. But as I was watching the Phillies this weekend, and that's where I'm going to start, I was wondering, you know, we've seen now the Braves in recent weeks. And I know they have this new kid, Vaughn Grissom, from Double A. The Braves just like to throw guys up from Double A, and all of a sudden they're stars, right? So maybe we see a different version of the Braves on Monday. But I see the Phillies this weekend, and I and even in the beginning of the year, I remember when they had the no-hitter, I was so surprised that the Mets were able to navigate that because my impression and the data and the stats bring it up, the Phillies don't strike out a lot. They work counts. They may not have the best one-to-nine with Schwarber out, uh, and certainly Harper. But you put Schwarber and Harper in that lineup with Hoskins, Segura, uh, Bohm, Castellanos. I know he's having a down year. They got this kid, Derek Hall. Now, I don't know if you could have both him and Schwarber in the lineup. I guess you could play Schwarber in the outfield, lefty bat. You start to get those two guys back. That's a pretty lengthy lineup that makes you work. And that was always my impression of the Phillies. They don't strike out. They make you work. Um, and, and, and some of the data supports that. So when you look at that, and then you look at the top of the rotation with Wheeler, I know he had a bad outing today. Today he was with perfect reason why I didn't want to sign Wheeler long-term because I always felt on the road against good teams, especially that are uh, lefty-laden, uh, 
He struggled. He struggled in 2019. Look at his numbers against the Braves and the Nats that year and the Yankees and whatnot. And, you know, I was wrong. I'm not trying to defend. Um, I, I will say someone personally brought up to me Bassett versus Wheeler. And I said, you know, in, in, a, in a vacuum, you know, I always I, – I, looking at these guys, I guess you would say Wheeler, you know, because he's the better pitcher. But I think I like Bassett in a situation where if he doesn't have his best stuff, he can navigate a game. I question whether Wheeler could do that. And I still felt Wheeler long-term was an injury risk because of his mechanics. Uh, I've been proven wrong on that. He still has a couple of years left on that deal after this year. But anyway, you know, Wheeler's a solid pitcher. Nola is a solid pitcher. You know, he's had some great moments against the Mets, nearly won a Cy Young a few years ago. I know Syndergaard and really Syndergaard and Kyle Gibson are the same, you know, the league average, middle of the rotation guys that when you're playing a good team like the Mets, I think the Mets middle to back in the rotation is clearly superior to the Phillies and they're not able to score the kind of runs that they can score against inferior competition. So their they're starting pitching is much better. You know, I heard what Syndergaard said about New York, and, you know, it makes sense. Syndergaard said, you know, I didn't want to come here and not be Thor. And I'd rather be Noah Syndergaard, former Met, going somewhere else where the expectations are that he's a scrap heap guy and they don't really look for the 100-mile-an-hour flowing locks. And I, I respect that. He was very honest about why he didn't come back. But, you know, he does beef up and at least give you a better middle to back end of the rotation. Uh, Robertson, the guy the Mets should have gotten, we've always we've talked about that ad nauseum here, lengthens that bullpen with Sir Anthony Dominguez. Alvarado could be tough against lefties. I know Knable's now out, but you know they seem to have some decent arms coming out of that pen. So when I look at the Phillies, a team that makes contact, works counts, less home run or nothing than the Braves, who strike out a lot but had a lot of home runs, I say to myself, you know, not that the Phillies are going to be able, I think, and I know everyone says seven games with 17 to play, right? Everybody likes to bring that up. Those are once-in-a-lifetime type of situations. But they're not going to come back and win the division. That's not what I'm saying. They're, uh, what, 11 games out now. We have to play in the Mets this week and losing a game in the standings. But I think come October, you know, the Mets are going to play, hypothetically, if everything stays the same, either the third division winner or one of those wild-card teams Probably no. The probably the number two seed. They're going to play probably a wild card team in the second round. Well, maybe not. Should say that. Maybe not. No, they may not. I shouldn't say that. But they could very easily face the Phillies or the Braves at a five game division series after the first round bye that they'll get because they won't have to play at their current pace in the wild card round. Big advantage for the Mets who could line up Scherzer and Degrom. And I say to myself, you know, who would I rather face? Now the answer is probably the Phillies. By that time, Harper will be back from his finger injury. But I think the Mets actually may match up better with the Braves, even though they have a much better bullpen, better close. I mean, I mean Robertson's pretty good, but they've got two guys in Iglesias and, and uh, Kenley Jansen that are have been elite closers. Robertson has been, but he's less so the last couple of years. Uh, you know, they have a good rotation, the Braves, as well, and the offense is is powerful, but... I think the Mets could work the Braves pitchers deeper and get them out of the game and then figure out the bullpen because bullpens are always, you know, no matter how good your bullpen is, I'd rather face your bullpen than Max Freed or Strider or Charlie Morton and go on and on and on here. 
And I look at the Phillies, and I'm like, well, Nola and Wheeler, that'll be a little bit tougher. They go deep into games, especially Wheeler. He has been, even those latter years of the Mets, he was a guy that gave them innings, even after, you know, the two years off from Tommy John. Think about the coddling that goes on of pitchers. And Wheeler was one of them prior to Tommy John. It did nothing. I still remember a game, I think it was in 2014, where he was getting criticized, Terry Collins, for pitching Wheeler too deep. And, like, at pitch 100, he shot out of the dugout. Like, if he didn't get to the mound in time, that you know, somebody, you know, Wheeler was going to drop dead on the mound, God forbid. It was the silliest thing. I remember, I remember saying this is where pitch counts have gone uh, crazily wild. But I look at the Phillies with those two guys, with an improved bullpen, the ability, they don't, I know they're not great defensively, so that's maybe where this tails off this point. But you look at that and you look at the close games and how the Mets had to work, and they worked hard against the Braves, but I felt like the Phillies even without two of their big bats, without Schwarber, who had one pinch-hitting appearance, and Harper, they made the Mets sweat a little bit more than the Braves did. And I'm like, in a short series, they may neutralize the Mets a little bit better than Atlanta. Now, I may be crazy here, and I may be you know, talking out of my you-know-what, and you're probably saying that, and I don't think I have a declaration here about that, but it is something to look out for. And look, this was a critically important series. You could say, oh, you know, the Mets could have had a stub your toes series. They were very easily close to that, but they grinded out, especially after that tough loss on Friday, a couple of games to make sure they kept pace with the Braves and didn't fall below that six. They only lost a game to the Braves. Uh, I think they, they came out of, no, they came out of New York with a six-game lead, went up to seven in the loss column, down to six. So they haven't really lost any ground. The Braves haven't lost since they left City Field. Now they come home get any help. And I think that's the way it's going to be the rest of the year. The Mets have an incredibly easy schedule in September, but you know, you know, I talk about stub your toe series. There's stub your toe months. These guys, uh, you know, these teams, when there's players playing for, you know, either a contract or a roster spot or to prove they belong in the big leagues, they could be extremely dangerous for a night. And we know that. But I think if the Mets could work through this week and they really have to look through this week, particularly kind of like they did the month of June with the West coast craziness, where you just want to survive in advance. You know, you go, you got four in Philadelphia, four in Atlanta. Could you go four and four and not lose any ground? Could you split both series and just keep everything so that a week from now at six o'clock or so on next Sunday, August, what, the 21st? Yeah, the 21st. We're still talking about a Mets team that's 11 up on Philadelphia and six up on the Braves. And now you're talking about five weeks left to play or so with the Mets schedule. Yeah, they got the Dodgers. They got the Subway Series again. I get it. There's still some tough games. And we talked about how tough August would be. But you get through this week without uh, any kind of momentum changing series, like three out of four or four-game sweep. You're in pretty good shape. And you could start to look at October in a way where you're going to be one of the top two teams and you're going to get a buy. You still got to finish the deal, but this is the next real push. You may not have Guillerme. We didn't get an update on his groin and they'll short the infield right now. But you know, look what you saw this week. This Mets team is dangerous. This Mets team is every bit a championship team as anybody else in the games. Every bit is the Yankees who have been uh, uh, lauded all year and have struggled mightily in the last couple of weeks. They've really struggled for a while, but they, they, it seems like they still kind of have the doldrums since the Subway Series. And, you know, this might be one of their best chances to win a championship. Oh, it's probably their best chance to win a championship since 2006-ish, really. And, and I'll get into that after the break, but 
Got to feel good. DeGrom is on another planet. Scherzer doing Scherzer things. Bassett is settled in as the number three that we had had him in. A guy who's a number three that could give you uh, top of the rotation performance. Walker and Carrasco have been, uh, at times, have pitched like top of the rotation guys, but are not your typical fours and fives. They're probably threes on other you know teams with, with less pitching. I mean, those guys very well would be, they're better than Syndergaard and... and and Gibson, the Phillies would love to have him, you know. And sometimes you could argue they're as good as Nola, who could be inconsistent at times. So it's just something to think about. What would you prefer in October? You know, who's a bigger threat? The strikeout team that hits a lot of home runs or the team that has some powerful bats, plays bad defense, but has more swing and miss pitching out of the bullpen. I mean, Sir Anthony Dominguez has had an incredible year. I mean, they know they almost got him on Friday. Robertson is an experienced closer. They have two starters who could go eight, so they don't have to mess around too much with the bridge innings. I mean, in a lot of ways, Nolan Wheeler probably will go deeper than Syndergaard, DeGrom, excuse me, DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett. So there's more chance that the Mets' bullpen can blow things than the Phillies' bullpen. Just something to think about. It is a very interesting point. All right, let's take a quick break. When I come back, as the Mets continue to roll, are we seeing their best chance to win in this first five years of Steve Cohen's stewardship here as the new owner of the Mets? I know that that was one of the goals he had put out in his introductory press conference, winning a championship his first five years. Very difficult, as you know. Right now, the best team, which at one point, I don't know if the fan graphs odds have been updated, which were the Mets, was about 17% to win the World Series. So you got basically a one in five chance to win the World Series. That's pretty good odds if you're betting, but still bad odds when you want to talk about the rate of failure. But this team, very well, everything come together, new manager, good energy, everybody buying in, league not all, I mean, league is tough, but right now, outside of one team, there's really nobody you can say in the National League that you feel the Mets should not beat in a short series. So with that, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, is this the Mets' best chance to win a championship? In, I mean, we can't predict the future, but in the first five years of Steve Cohen ownership. We'll talk about that more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silver, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. So I teased before the break how is this the Mets' best chance? And these are the kind of conversations you're starting to have as we are in that let's-go-get-it-done phase of the baseball season and the Mets playing at, since, especially since the All-Star break, a high level we know part of that was these acquisitions that who would have thunk guys like Tyler Naquin and Daniel Vogelback. Uh, Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. 
It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Uh, you know, even giving up, I thought, a useful reliever like Colin Holderman, who the Mets could have very well used this homestand, could have brought them an elite offensive player, a guy that's been designated for Simon. Now, he doesn't hit lefties, but majority of what you're going to see is right-handers. Naquin, you know, when he plays against righties, he hits at a really good level. Darren Ruff provides the righty equivalent of Vogelback, maybe not to the same level, but he had a big hit on Friday. So you see that that high level, and you're saying to yourself, between that, between, you know, surviving some injury scares, like almost Pete breaking his hand or the car accident with Alonzo in spring training, and, you know, it just seems like things are going well for the Mets. So the first reason why this might be their best chance has nothing to do with anything data-driven or logical. It's just this feeling. And it's a similar feeling to what I had in 06. Now, I know what happened in 06. I know. But it's very similar. I don't... Yeah, there was 99 and 2000, but the Mets at the, in those seasons had teams that were considered better than them. They weren't the prohibitive favorite. Even 99, people thought the Braves were better. And they, they probably were. I mean, I think that Mets team was the best Mets team before this year, in my opinion. Uh, I think that team might have been better than 06. And that's a different debate we could have on another day, that 99 team. And they got badly snake bitten in the Brave series in the postseason. But another story for another day. You know, 1986, you know that whole thing. But 
to me, 06, the Mets, there was very few teams, including the Yankees that year, that I thought the Mets shouldn't beat in a short series. And it was such a clear path, and everything was going well, even with all the injuries, Pedro going down. They got El Duque. El Duque looked like he was ready to retire, and he was disinterested in Arizona, which he was, comes in and pitches like an ace. Oh, they lose their pitching for the postseason. John Maine and Ali Perez step up. Uh, you know, John Valentin's big year. Uh, Cliff Floyd's out. You know, they go out and get Sean Green. Andy Chavez has a career year. Laduca, like it, everything came together. It was maybe Beltron's best year of his career, MVP year. You know, living up, coming out of the same situation as Lindor, a disappointing first year, and, and he comes and has this MVP season. So it was, that's what you're seeing here. The, the crazy comebacks, um, you know, guys stepping up in the bullpen, like Adovino. Diaz, the maturation of Diaz. I mean, what you saw last night, where Diaz, for the first time in a long time, didn't have command of a slider, but you saw him navigate a sweaty inning when he didn't have his best stuff. The only other time in recent memory was maybe the, the Texas save, which was not nearly as scary as that because there was a little bit more rope in that game. That was a one nothing game that he got to get out of yesterday. And a big-time hitter. I mean, don't be fooled by Castellanos. Uh, numbers, he's a big-time hitter. That's a guy you don't want to see up in a big spot. I know he's had a, a bad year. But Diaz, the difference I thought I saw with Diaz is first he was commanding his fastball and locating it. So it wasn't like he was just giving in. And and, and he was, and I think Ron Darling said this. He was slowing the game down. He wasn't trying to just bulldoze his way through it. That's what you do if you're a good pitcher. When the things move fast on you, you back off and you turn down the temperature. And even though he didn't have real great command of his slider, he still kept going to it, and he still stayed consistent with that 50-50, and he really worked off of it. And that's what he does. He tries to work off the slider. In the past, we'd always work off the, the fastball. The slider would be the out pitch. So it wasn't like the Phillies could sit back and go, all right, we got him. He doesn't have a slider tonight. He's going to be the old Diaz. He located that fastball, and he still was able to get the big uh, swing and miss or the strike on the slider when he needed it. And he got through that inning. When you see that, you're like, this is something that's going on. This team has got something going on. And then Jacob DeGrom, I mean, this guy's not even pitching more than six innings. This is like Pedro Martinez. Like, this is like how the whole debate with Grady Little and Pedro and how long do you keep him in. I think that's going to be a postseason debate. There is going to be a postseason game where they're going to pull DeGrom and something bad might happen. And I, I hope it doesn't happen. But we're going to have a Buck Showalter a grady little conversation, maybe. Hopefully it doesn't happen. But you could you feel it? But things are going so well that you think no matter what they touch, I mean, whatever Buck touches, it turns to gold. I mean, DeGrom is having, and you don't know what's going to happen at the end of this year. DeGrom is having a great, great, great season. So everything's coming together. The league, outside of the Dodgers, so it's a little bit different than 06, where the Dodgers are clearly the favorites. Outside of the Dodgers, there's really no team the Mets shouldn't beat with Scherzer and DeGrom lined up a couple of times in a short series with the way Diaz is pitching. And then you could maybe throw some of your starters in a bullpen so you don't have to sit through the Michael Givens experience or worry about Seth Lugo not having his curveball and his inability to warm up or, you know, what, what the finickiness of his uh, stuff. You know, you have a whole different scenario once the postseason bell rings. I mean, the, the 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 field is open. It's the Dodgers. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. The team that Cohen wants to be versus the upstart that that you know that that's just coming around. You know, kind of where the Dodgers were when they first were bought by the Guggenheim Group. 
So you have that similar field as 06. You have all these intangibles happening that we can't explain that are just, you know, coming together. Guys having great years, wild wins, lucky breaks. You know, they don't get Schwarber for the series. Sometimes that happens. Gary Cohen talked about that. And that's kind of where I thought about this. And then you have the field where you look and you're like, yeah, the Braves are tough but beatable. Yeah, you know, they're champs. The Phillies are tough but beatable. Cardinals, I think they're very tough but beatable. The Mets have proven that. And, you know, San Diego, we were anointing them with the Soto Beltre. But like I said, when you upheaval your whole, you know, being at the trade deadline and go from last place to first place and you're trying to get to know this team and get to, you know, get it done at the same time, it could happen. You have the Cespedes of the world that don't care. But the kind of turnover that you saw with what the amount of offense the Padres brought in you're you're asking for a lot of guys to 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 in a key component to figure themselves out. And now the guy you thought you were getting back, maybe the best of all of them, Tatis Jr. You ain't gonna see him till June of next year. And I think he's ineligible. I don't know if he's ineligible for next year's postseason. I mean, think about that. I mean, how does that work? He misses this postseason. Does that mean he's ineligible for next postseason because the suspension goes into next year? I'd have to look into that. So the Padres are beatable. Tough, but beatable. You know, they're tough. They're scary, but beatable. Um, it's not as clear-cut as 06, but it's got some similarities. And then there's the third reason why you almost have to win. Like, that's where the pressure and the get-it-done pressure happens. So uh, Danny Abriano, who is the senior editorial producer over at uh, SNY's Mets, I call it Mets blog. It's SNY.TV Mets and things like that. You know, he wrote about how DeGrom, Diaz, Bassett. I mean, the Mets, and this is going to be a big part of our early offseason conversation. Whenever this craziness ends, whether it ends in a championship, no playoffs, unlikely, or a flameout, or a heartbreak near miss, the first thing we're going to be talking about as we put our GM and play GM cap here on the Talking Mets podcast in the offseason, when it'll be the fall and it won't be too cold yet. It's not like when we have these shows when it's, you know, 12 degrees and I'm like, hey, let's talk about the back into the bullpen while everybody else is out throwing snowballs around and shoveling. But it'll be the early, you know, offseason where we play GM and the Mets have Nimmo and Bassett and DeGrom and Diaz and, and pretty much their entire bullpen. They have a ton of free agents. And in order to keep this band together, it's a possibility they need a payroll well north of $340, $300 million, maybe $340, $350. Will Steve Cohen do that? You know, there's a value in some of these veterans that are expensive that are filling roles versus going into your farm system and bringing up a known guy, no name. You have to do it. You have to incorporate young players. You know, maybe a Darren Ruff could be replaced by a cheaper version in Vientos as McNeil becomes more expensive, as Alonzo becomes more expensive. That's why you need, and it's why the payoff, I believe, at the trade deadline for the Mets, not giving anything up or giving up a Matthew Allen type or top five prospect for Robertson where they felt would give them incremental improvement, which I don't disagree I agree with, but we'll leave that alone, is that you have this this capital that you can now say, okay, I have some options with Alvarez and with um, Vientos and maybe Beatty who's in AAA now. You know, you look around, you don't have to go out and and have veterans for depth because you may have it in a minimum player in Beatty or Alvarez or what have you. Maybe you're able to look at your catching situation and say, okay, I love the catching framing of McCam, but you know, I can't, I have to invest that in Diaz. 
I mean, you're going to have two guys in DeGrom and Diaz that may have record-setting contracts. DeGrom to hit the 50 million mark per season for a pl- player. I think that was probably his goal. I mean, you could easily, if he stays healthy, I don't think anybody's going to give him six or seven years, but I could see a four years with an option, you know, maybe five, 250 kind of deal. Diaz, you know, the top closers make 16, $17 million. He's probably going to try to go 480. I mean, alone, those two guys are going to cost you 70 million. You haven't even gotten to Bassett. You haven't gotten to Walker, who's going to want to make, you know, $15 million a year. You know, Carrasco has an option, I believe. Let me see this just to make sure. Um, I, I think there's a $10 million option of some sort. So, you know, maybe you bring him back because, you know, the, the real problem is you almost have to win this year and reinvest in this pitching. Because if you go, you go for it this year or you weren't going to reinvest in this pitching, why didn't you just go all in and try to win? You have to invest in this pitching. Uh, they don't have, they don't have a, a, an acceptable replacement for Diaz. They don't have enough starters. You know, Peterson and McGill are huge downgrades from DeGrom. Yeah, you have Scherzer, so it's not like you've lost an ace, but you've lost that, you know, one-two punch. And, you know, look, it goes on both sides. You know, does Nimmo want to come back? Does DeGrom want to come back? Do they want to play the market? Do they like, similar to what Syndergaard, what Syndergaard said this weekend is critically important because it's a real honest, open lesson and you as fans should hear it and listen to it. He didn't like the temperature in New York. It's not for everybody. And people come here for the green and figure, you know, say, I'll figure it out. But they don't. And when you have an opportunity to get the green here or somewhere else and it's the same and you get out of this environment, you know, there's not much that Steve Cohen could do at that point. He can't change the, the zip code. He's not, that's, that's not realistic. Now, the... Good vibes and Buck and and all the nonsense that has surrounded this team, thanks to Epler's moves, Buck's influence, who's a perfect mouthpiece, gets Alderson out of the fray. I think Epler, if you heard it from him more, might annoy you more. So the fact that Buck could play that, you know, Terry Collins role, but actually be a competent manager is huge. And it's taken the temperature and made it normal here again. It's normal media coverage because... Even if they tried to get clownish, it wouldn't work. I mean, trust me, they still want to get clownish. They haven't changed. The, the, the environment hasn't changed. It's that you're not giving them anything. And it's hard to do that. It's hard to achieve that. And there's been a couple of times that it could have went that way. And they've won big series. And then Buck, you know, if he gets something, someone gets silly with him, he handles it in a way which eliminates any kind of agitation or agendas that could come from covering somebody you don't like. How can you not like Buck Showalter? Talks about his dogs needing music to fall asleep. He talks about Broadway. Uh, you know, he might see something at the ball card. Shaki- was it Shakira? 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 Email me. I can't. I don't. I don't listen to her. I don't know. He, you know, he talks about her. You know, at that point. So you have quite a bit in the in the column here that says this might be their best shot. There's a lot of complexities to keep this band together. And then when you start to rely on some of your younger players, and they're going to have to on the offensive side of the ball, Alvarez and Mauricio and Beatty, you don't know what these guys are going to do. Yeah, you could have them earn a job in spring training. You know, does Beatty push Escobar out of the way and make him a bench player next year? And Escobar becomes that veteran. I always say with a, with a young player, you want a veteran to come in in case they flop like Kelnick flopped. 
You know, that was something that, you know, Greg Jeffries came in first full year. They had traded Wally Backman already. And Jeffries really, you know, Davey stuck with him back in the late 80s. And and I've talked to people around that team who said they probably should have sent him down. It might have done him some good. Would have been a humbling experience, but they also traded their depth and a popular one at that in Backman. So you want to keep that depth and you want to give these guys kind of a safety net when it comes down to it. But with DeGrom and Diaz specifically having these all-time seasons on a free agent walk year. It's a perfect storm. God bless them. They're going to get paid. I'm so proud of Diaz, by the way. I mean, DeGrom, I'm a little surprised because I said, okay, he hasn't pitched in a year, and he had this the shoulder thing with the, the, the bone, which anybody who had it, you know, said it wasn't the end of the world, but they are treating him cautiously. He had the ligament issue. He's had, you know, it depends on who you look at. Some say he has great mechanics. Some say he doesn't. Sometimes it's hard, but I mean, his execution is at a level that I've never seen before. I mean, just think about it. I've never, I've never seen this before. You know, getting a hit is an accomplishment. Fouling a ball off is accomplishment. We're not talking about beating him. If we could get this guy, we could get to a situation where the Mets could get this guy to seven or seven plus innings. It really makes it almost impossible to beat them. And you put a crooked number. I mean, the team is basically averaging five runs a game since they made the changes and moved on from J.D. and Dom uh, and lengthened the lineup. Uh, that's that's more plenty. I mean, yeah, even with the shaky, leaky bullpen and the nerve-wracking nature of May and Lugo and Givens and much lesser degree Adovino. Adovino has been a godsend, really. I mean, he's he's doing what you expected from Lugo. And Lugo's doing what you expected from Adovino. So this very well might be the Mets' best chance because of those reasons. You know, tangible reasons like things are just happening that you can't explain. Wild winds and and hot players and, you know, walk-offs and things like that. And then you have the field in front of you, which looks pretty open, and there's one cowboy that stands in the way of you and the World Series, and that's a big one. And that's the Bra- uh, the Dodgers. And then you still have the world champs, but, you know, the big boys are the Dodgers. I mean, at another, you know, 110 win, 114 win pace, uh, you, we, you know, we saw them out in L.A. They're tough. They're tough. And I think the Mets are tough, too, and I think everybody knows the Mets are tough. They're not just lucky like Spencer Strider says. So that's an interesting thing to think about. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to wrap up. But. Fernando Tatis Jr. was suspended this weekend for PEDs. Why? Who cares? Probably was using it to heal quickly so he could get back from his, I believe it's a shoulder injury because of the bike incident. So he's had a lot of things go against him. A lot of money he's lost, by the way. He's going to lose, you know, something like 20-something million dollars on this thing. So that's a very expensive mistake. But Lindor and the Lindor contract and whatnot came up. We, We gave Lindor, and I've been giving Lindor's platitudes, but... I want to remind everybody that it didn't have to be this way. So we're going to wrap up. We're going to talk about Tatis Jr. and the what if with Francisco Lindor one last time right after this. Mets fans love Bartolo Colon and remember his home run. But what kind of impact did he really have on the club? Michael Stahl, author of the book Big Sexy, Bartolo Colon in his own words, joined us on the podcast and gave us a pretty good idea. I got to speak to Terry Collins over the phone and, and he contributed the story. And he says the definition of a professional, he's like Bartolo's right there. One of his early starts in Anaheim, 
where Bartolo just didn't have it, and he gave up, like, back-to-back-to-back home runs, I think, in, like, the first inning. And you know what he did? He took his, he took his licks, and he, he stayed in the game until the fifth inning because the bullpen was, was tired. So, you know, his ERA ballooned up to, like, six or something like that. But, you know, he didn't care. He, he knew it was best for the team, and, and, he, and he wanted to stay in the game. He told Terry after the first inning, he goes, I'm going to get you into the seventh. And he wound up going five, but still, like, that's his, that was his attitude, and that was, you know, a real um, testament to him. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmitspodcast.com. We're back, final segment here on the Talking Mets podcast. You know, one thing that I uh, have noticed, I, this tweet came up during the break. Most This is from New York Mets Stats. And if you don't follow this account, you should. At NYM Stats, just, they just give out randomly good information. It said, most games allowing zero runs in a season in Mets history, of course, 1969, 28, no surprise, 68, surprise, 25. You know, that's the year of the pitcher. 88 is after that. I remember that season. I mean, tons of, you know, Ojeda and Darling and Gooden and Fernandez, like just shut down starting pitching, David Cohn. Uh, 2010, that's interesting. Not a great year for the Mets. I was up there. 85, 76, a surprisingly good 70s, late 70s season for the Mets where they won over 80 games. And, um, you know, before trading Seaver, so I'm sure Seaver and Kuzman had a lot to do with that. Uh, 2022 is now tied with, uh, is that 16th? Uh, 16 uh, shutout, shutouts or zero runs, I should say. And 1998, it keeps popping up. When they have these best record of 1998 keeps popping up. And that's when Piazza came over. And I didn't think of that team because they had to make so many changes in 99, bringing in Ventura uh, specifically and Ricky Henderson because offensively they were so challenged, I felt at times. It was basically all-time season by Olerud. Piazza getting hot down the stretch. Fonzie coming into his own. A little bit of Brian McRae. A little bit of Tony Phillips. Um, you know, was Carl, Carl Everett was on that team? No, Carl Everett was traded. No, Carl Everett was traded in 97. They traded him after the 97, which was a mistake. I know they traded him because of an off-the-field issue, uh, and he turned out to sometimes have his own issues, but they needed his bat in that lineup. They got nothing for him. But I, I look at this 98 team. I don't want to get too deep into it, but they they, they stand out. Uh, more so sometimes than 99 or 2000 on these lists of when these stats of pitching and record and just amazing, you know, that you don't think of the 98 team that had that bad last week of the season against the Expos and the Marlins and just couldn't get the job done in Atlanta to make the postseason. They were a dangerous team. They went into the Astrodome and Piazza got his 200th home run and beat a very, very good Astros team, including beating a closer that would be their closer years later in Billy Wagner who was at the height of his dominance in 1998. So just something interesting. All right, Lindor. I, I, I've talked about this. Look, I don't dislike Francisco Lindor at all. And I am beyond over the moon ecstatic that you have his defense up the middle, that his bat now is starting to play. Uh, look, you paid him an A-Rod contract. He is playing like A-Rod at shortstop, maybe with a little less power, but he's playing like A-Rod the last two months specifically since the second half started, the 20 games or so from the second half. Nearly won the ball game on Friday. I thought that ball was going out. Died in center field. Center field's the worst place to hit the ball at City Field. If you get one out, you know, you earned it, especially if it goes into that little apple, the home run apple. So I love Lindor. I don't care 
that he's got a 10-year deal. What I'm saying and what I meant when Andy Martino mentioned in the tweet about Tatis Jr.'s suspension and how you look at Tatis Jr. now and how um, the Mets rushed to sign him and the benchmark was Tatis's 350 or thereabouts. And I always felt that was kind of this number that was pushed by the media. And I thought there was the pressure from the fans to show them that something had to happen. And everybody says, you think Steve Cohen makes a decision because of what the fans say? Well, he knew, and he was very astute to, you know, they nearly, if it's true, and I don't know why Martino would lie, I mean, they talked about releasing Javi Baez in September because of the thumbs down, which would have been ridiculous after you gave up a, a first-round pick, and you, I thought maybe it was a guy that you'd want to resign and then piss Lindor off. So think about that, all that together. You know, but they listened to what the fans have to say, and they and he knew when they made this deal that if he said, listen, we're not going to get a deal done before spring training, they would get killed. It would be like, oh, it's the Will Ponds all over again. They would have got, they were getting killed in the media at that time. And I was totally at that, and, I, and I'm never going to, you guys could go back and listen to the tape. It's out there. I never said that they shouldn't sign him. I just said, I'm willing to play this one out because now you got an owner with cash flow. The biggest difference is, you know, look, would I love to lock the Grom up? And it was a very interesting quote by A-Rod on the John Heyman and uh, uh, Joel Sherman podcast. A-Rod was on a few weeks ago, and he said the one thing is once you get to free agency, the agents start to take over, and sometimes the communication with the club then, which you could have more direct – like the Mets saying to Brandon Nimmo, we're interested in talking to you because you're still on the roster, you're still in the clubhouse, goes away, and then you never know what the agent's agenda is. Now, a bit of a pot shot against Boris, who he fired later in his career. Uh, and A-Rod was a guy that was malleable and I think allowed people to run his affairs to a much higher level than maybe they should have. But, you know, knowing all that, knowing that... You know, you have an owner with cash flow. I'm okay with going free agency now. The Grom is different because, to me, there was always there was always inventory of shortstops. I, I was unsure if he was the guy that was being advertised. I know the Grom is the guy that was advertised. So there's differences between the two. And I just said, look, I think if you had waited this, the struggles that he had, maybe he would have bounced on New York. So that's the other thing. So we're assuming he wanted to stay. So after the kind of year, and that's the one thing we'll never know. After the kind of year that he had last year, even with the great September 11th series and the three home runs against the Yankees, which was kind of his coming out, with the thumbs down, like think about everything that happened. There's a very good chance that they might not have even brought him back. Maybe they would have went a different route. Maybe they would have went after, you know, Corey Sager or something like that or uh, Carlos Correa. Who knows? Who knows what happens if they let? So let's assume he wants to stay despite all the nonsense and the garbage. You probably could have got him for, you know, maybe a seven-year deal, $25 million a year, save $10 million, which now with Lindor making thirty-five, and you got to hope he stays at this level. Like, this is the kind of level that you need because it's a lot of money. It's impacting their ability at times to keep that payroll at the Cohen tax. And I know you say, well, Steve Cohen's rich. He doesn't care. Well, yeah, he does. At some point, it's hard to make money on these ball clubs, especially when you have a payroll that goes to a certain level, unless the revenues are there. Now, they're building a team, and Cohen's smart. He's building, and they're talking about building up around the ballpark and things like that. It's going to only make this team more valuable and, and, and more profit center so that they can 
have a sustainable winner and have the revenue stream like the Dodgers. The reason the Dodgers and the Yankees have the kind of payrolls that they have is because they have the, the revenue streams there. At times, even though the Mets are a big market team, you could just tell from the advertising over the years at City Field. They're not necessarily the most desired advertising destination. I could tell you flat out, I knew somebody who used to work for WOR when the Mets were on WOR before they went to back to the uh, you know the WFAN family on 880. And it was very hard to sell advertising for the Mets even after they were in the pennant. They won the pennant in 2015. Got a little easier. I mean, going into the pennant season in 2015 was very difficult. Very difficult to sell advertising. Um, for a variety of reasons, which I no reason to get into that right now. And some of that had to do with the prior ownership. So, you know, I got roasted when I bought the point that Andy basically said the Mets could have saved a lot of money here. That's really the roundabout, long-winded way. The Mets could have saved a lot of money if only they knew what Tatis was. Now, nobody has a crystal ball. My whole point was they never should have blinked on that level, make the guy prove that he could play. Who knows what kind of season he would have had on a contract year. But, you know, as I'm going through it, it's a moot point. Maybe it's a waste to round out the show because we've had this conversation so long. But listen, we talked about it in the last segment. You have critically important free agent decisions that could make this very, this good team, this exciting team, this very likable team, this team that is heading into a new era where they are an East Coast Dodgers and every bit the Yankees. That could go away in a snap if you lose Edwin Diaz and DeGrom because you recalibrate, you're never going to replace those kind of seasons. Even if they, you know, this might be Diaz's best season ever he'll have. Another reason that this might be their best chance, right? You're having career year. How much more does Scherzer have? You don't know. Like, so to me, that money, you know, if we, and I think the buck, I said this Bucks four year deal is their chance to win. Cause I think once his four year deal is up, I think, I, I don't know if he would stick around. I think you should better start looking at his, his successor. Cause I could see after the four year deal, the Mets needed to take a small dip to move forward. I don't want to say what a total rebuild, but maybe have a down year or two to recalibrate. Cause it's hard to, you can't replace Hall of Famers you know, as they get older. So, you know, it's something like that. Well, so that's just something to talk about. It's interesting when it's all said and done. What is the Lindor contract? How is that impact going to be on them keeping all their uh, their players out there? All right, that's all I got for you. Big series coming up. This is the final countdown to, you know, really put this division in uh, I don't want to say cruise control, but an open field where, you know, you got enough distance between you and the next, you know, they're not lapping anybody, but they got enough distance where they could comfortably then manage the bullpen effectively, not push Diaz too much, manage injuries. It looks like Guillerme is in pretty bad shape. I was looking at some post-game comments. Um, and, you know, September is a little bit of a, you know, uh, schedule gets easier. You don't want to take that for granted, but... Just stay where you are, and then look, you're not going to get any help. It has yet to prove that any team is giving you any help for both the Phillies and the Braves. And as long as you take care of business, back to that taking care of business uh, theme, it's going to be really hard for the Phillies and the Braves, even when they beat up on these other teams, because the Mets can beat up on the teams like the Reds and the Pirates and the Cubs just as well. And, and away you go. So, all right. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and do the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at 
TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks and thank them from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as RisingApple.com. I am your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week and buckle up. Another big week of baseball ahead. Let's see where we stand next week, 6 o'clock on a Sunday. It's going to be a very defining week in the 2022 season. It's truly go get them time. Till then, take care, everybody. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.